to point out to you that trumps this reality. Because Esau, he had it in his mind, in his free will, to unhitch himself from his parents, to take those wives that they didn't like so much and go head to the mountains and live as a nomad. He had decided to do this. And this is the reality that we humans could see, the one that we could know and we could understand. But saints, I want you to think about this and listen to the real reality as told to us in Malachi chapter 1. God says, I have loved you, says Yahweh, but you say, how have I loved you? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares Yahweh? Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau, and I have set his mountains to be a desolation and his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. See, Jacob chose. He chose to live in these hills that were forsaken. But he chose exactly as God willed for him. And his personal free will, his personal volition, they were not impugned in doing this. And God did not choose this for him. After looking down the corridor of time and seeing the choice that Esau was going to make, both realities are truth. And both are under the sovereignty of God. And this truth is both confusing and comforting. Listen to how your elder confession of faith relates this. It says, We believe God after, all, after he had created all things, did not abandon them or give them up to fortune or chance, but that according to his holy will, he so rules and governs them, that in, his, in this world nothing happens without his direction. Yet God does not sin. And his power and goodness are so great and beyond understanding that he ordains and executes his work in the most excellent and just manner, even when devils and wicked men act unjustly. And as to his actions surpassing human understanding, we will not transgress any further than Scripture allows. But with humility and reverence, we adore the just judgments of God, which are hidden from us. And we content ourselves that we are pupils of Christ, who have only to learn those things which he teaches us in his word without transgressing these limits. This doctrine gives us unspeakable consolation, for we learn thereby that nothing can happen to us by chance, but only by the direction of our gracious heavenly Father. He watches over us with fatherly care, keeping all creatures so under his power that not one hair of our head for they are all numbered, nor one sparrow can fall to the ground without the will of our Father. In this we trust, because we know that he holds in check all our enemies, so that they cannot hurt us without his permission and will. Confusing? Most certainly. Unexplainable? Perhaps not true? Never. We must once again submit to sola scriptura and live 
in Deuteronomy 29, 29, which tells us the secret things belong to Yahweh, our God, but the things revealed to us in his word, they belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may do all the words of this law. But this truth is supposed to be a comfort to us. And as much as we can think, and sometimes we can get confused and think this, that Jacob had to have a better relationship with the Lord, a more intimate, a more real relationship than we do, because the Lord appeared to him. He didn't have the word of God presented to him, given to him. And this is why we have the reality of verse 7. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him, and the flocks and the herds and the camels and the two camps. And he said, If Esau comes to the one camp and strikes it, then the camp which remains will escape. Esau was heading his way with 400 men. This couldn't be good, at least not in the mind of Jacob. He could not fathom any reason other than an attack in order to render punishments against Jacob for the harm that he had done to him 20 years earlier. It's all he could figure. And this figuring is an insight into our human nature. You see, we project our nature onto others. If you ever run across a person who always thinks the worst of others, who always thinks that people are being mean-spirited, that those people, they are liars, you can't trust them, they're, that they're trying to take advantage of others. If you run, ever run across a person like that, you need to understand that that person, they are just projecting themselves onto everybody else. That that is their true nature. And this is also why a liar is always really good at spotting a liar. Why a thief is always good at spotting thieves. Why an adulterer is always good at being able to spot the early signs of an adulterer. You see, we recognize sin, our sin, our personal sin in others. And then we very often can think, everybody else is like me. And if you don't know yet what your besetting sin is, and you have at least one. If the Lord has not revealed that to you yet, one way that you can know is by what do you project on other people? What do you automatically think of other people? What do you think that they're doing? That they're lying? That you can't trust them? That they're going to try and steal from you? That they're going to cheat on you? Whatever. Whatever that is, that's your besetting sin. And Jacob, he projects his own personality, his own sin onto his brother. He knows what he would do in this situation. And because of that, he is terrified. He's terrified at having the prospect of his wives and his children slaughtered in front of his eyes because he knows that if, it, if the situation reversed, that's what I would do. And then we finally, we finally hear this saint do something that we've never heard him do before. He, on his own volition, without the Lord appearing to him first, 
he finally confesses in praise, verses 9 through 12. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Yahweh who said to me, Return to your land and to your kin and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and all the truth which you have shown to your slave. For your for with my staff only I crossed the Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and strike me down with the mothers and the children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your seed as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. That was his prayer. And the prayer that he prays, it's a really good prayer. Because in it we find foundational aspects of a, what a sound, biblically honest confession of a sinner sounds like. One who has been made a saint. The first thing that we should take note of is who he is praying to. He's not just praying to God, whatever that is. He knows. He knows who he is praying to. He knows that there are a lot of false gods out there, but the God that he is praying to is not like them. And he does something when he's praying to this God that we would do well to mimic. He tells God back to him the promises that he, God, has made to Jacob. He says, God, you told me to do this. Lord, you promised these things to me. But he does this in true humility. He knows. He's been made aware of the reality of who God is and who he is. Who he, is. he understands he has no right, no leg to stand on, no worth within himself to even approach God. And he openly and truthfully knows that all the hard work that he did those past 20 years, the, his smarts, the cunning manner in which he handled those flocks of Laban, none of those things, none of those efforts, none of those things made him a wealthy man. He understood that if he had two legs to stand on, and these two camps full of stuff, they were all unearned blessings of the Lord. He wasn't a self-made man. And then, after that, then he finally makes his plea to the Lord. He says, Lord, I'm unworthy. But these are the things that you told me to do. And then he tells God the truth. And saints, I'm, I really want to implore you here. Be honest with God. You may find yourself at times in life mad at God because things are not happening in your life the way that you think that they should. Be honest with God. He knows your heart. You're not fooling him. You may pray, you know, that sound prayer, Lord, you know, I'm just going to trust in you no matter what. He's not going to relent until you finally are honest. 
He's not going to be offended if you tell him, Lord, I'm mad at you. He's not going to be hurt if you tell him, Lord, I didn't want this to happen. He's a big God. And he knows your frailty. But this is not Jacob. Jacob is not trying to ease his way into getting something for God. Jacob really meant this prayer. God had taken him to his wit's end. And he had, he knew, he had zero control about what was going to happen. He had no power. He could do nothing to stop his brother and that 400 men if they intended to harm him and his family. Verse 13. So he spent the night there. But just because he was in humble submission to the reality that he could really do nothing against his brother, and in total honesty, praise that honest and great God-glorifying prayer. That doesn't stop Jacob from being Jacob, that heel snatcher, that conniver. He thought after praying that prayer, I, I got to at least try in my flesh. So then he took what he had with him as a present for his br brother Esau. He took 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. And he gave them into the hands of his servants, every flock by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on before me and put a space between flocks. And then he commanded the first one in front, saying, When my brother Esau meets you and asks you, To whom do you belong? And where are you going? And to whom do these animals in front of you belong? Then you shall say, these belong to your servant Jacob. It's a present sent to my Lord, to Esau. And behold, he also is behind us. And he commanded all, he commanded the second and the third, and all who followed the flock, saying, After this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, Behold, your servant Jacob also is behind us. If he's trusting in the Lord, why would he do this? Why would he go through all this trouble? Why would he risk his flocks, his slaves? Why would he do this? The Bible tells us. For he said, I will appease his face with the present that goes before me. Then afterward, I will see his face, and perhaps he will lift up my face. He's scheming. But even in his scheming, he knows that he's powerless. And he knows that just because he could be swayed by worldly things, he wasn't certain that the hot hatred of his brother could be quenched by them, which is why we're given verses 21 through 23. So the present passed on before him while he, was spent that, while he spent that night in the camp. And he rose in the same night and took his two wives and his two servant women and his eleven children, and he crossed the ford of Jabbok. And then he took them and sent them across the stream, and he set, sent across whatever he had. He acted in his humanity. But saints, don't go being all shocked by the humanity of Jacob, like how dare he? Because how often, how often following on the heels of a great revelation from God, 
Do you or have I acted in our humanity? How often after the Lord revealing himself to us in a way that is just amazing, giving us amazing gifts, how often have we then snapped at our spouse, gotten angry at a driver? How often do we need to relearn to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and not lean on our own understanding? That we can and should in all of our ways acknowledge him, knowing that he's going to lead us home. Jacob's just like us, and we are just like Jacob. And Jacob split his camp into two, and then he sent hers and his men ahead to meet that, unco- that oncoming attack force. And then he takes his family and moves them away from both of those camps. And then he's left alone. Or so he thinks. And what follows next is one of the harv- hardest events in the Bible to truly understand. So we're going to read it all without me taking it apart first. Beginning in verse 24. Then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of dawn. And he saw that he had not prevailed against him. So he touched the socket of his thigh. And so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Verse 26. Then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed them there. So Jacob named the place Peniel. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been delivered. What is this event all about? What is it that we're supposed to glean from it? What are we supposed to take away from this account, from this whole chapter, in fact? You see, there are those that will use this chapter. They will formulize this chapter in finding favor before man and God. There are those that that, that will actually say, this is how you get ahead in life. First, you pray to God, and then you schmooze people. You, You buy your way into favor with people after you sanctified your deceit through a prayer to God. But is this really what this account is all about? Or perhaps this account, this is a revelation of how God works in the lives of all his saints, and not just Jacob. You see, as as much as Jacob acknowledged that it was God, in his loving kindness that had provided all that he had, that he had been the one who promised to give these things to him and that he promised to return him home. Jacob still feared man more than he did God. He, he, all his focus was in on Esau. And he was completely, desperately terrified of his brother when he should have been afraid of the one who can not only kill, but then after killing, send to hell. And saints, we don't often recognize the sin of fear of man in our lives. 
how deep-seated and ever-present our sin is in us. We don't truly understand what total depravity is, that every molecule within us is completely given over to sin. Because very often, we think that we've got a handle on sin, that we can, with the help of God, we, we, we can control and even prevent our sin from happening. We, we actually think that we are having victory over sin because we don't participate in those outward don'ts. You know, don't drink, don't smoke, don't swear, don't cheat. We have those things down. And so very often we begin to become like Jacob. Proud in our humility. We are the man. We, I'm walking humbly with the Lord. I, I am faithful. I am obedient. I really am good. And then God in his great mercy, will seemingly, randomly just show up and then we act. And in our actions, we prove that we fear man and not God. And this is a summation of our account from today to this point. And now, now, now that the Lord has all got all his pieces in place, he set all the, ma- all the players in motion. Now he has Jacob right where he needs him to be, alone with God. And that night, he met his true adversary, that lonely and faithful night. But what happened that night? What's going on here? Fortunately, we're given a summation of the life of Jacob and an insight into that night by the prophet Hosea. Hosea chapter 12, verses 3 through 6 tells us, In the womb he took his brother by the heel, and in his maturity he wrestled with God. And that's a summation of the life of Jacob. Verse 4, Indeed, he wrestled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He found him at Bethel, and there he spoke with us, even Yahweh, the God of hosts. Yahweh is his name of remembrance. Therefore, return to your God, keep loving kindness and justice and hope in your God continually. And there, there's an insight into what happened that night. In our chapter from today, we're never told of Jacob weeping in that wrestling match. In our minds, what we have been told because of those flannel grams, in, in our minds, in the way that this gets portrayed, Jacob, he's a WWF star. He's he's fearless. He's powerful. But is Jacob really an equal match for God? I mean, was Jacob like the B.J. Penn jiu-jitsu artist that the Lord couldn't overcome? Not a chance. Not a single chance. Listen to how Job spoke of God and how Job knew that God dealt with his saints. Job chapter 23, verses 6 through 7. Job said, Would he contend with me by the greatness of his power? No. Surely he would pay attention to me. 
They're the upright, and the only way that you can be upright is in him. There the upright would argue with him, and I would have escaped forever from my judge. And what we see happening in the text from today, it sheds light onto Romans 8, 26, where the Lord, how the Lord works with us, in us, and even for us. Romans 8, 26 says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And the Spirit interceding is not the only way that God intercedes for us. He's not the only member of the Trinity that intercedes for us. Christ lives to make intercession for us, Hebrews 7, 27. Which is why Paul could go on so proudly shout the glory of God and the salvation of his saints. Verses 27 through 30 of Romans 8. He says, And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know, we know for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those who he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those who justified, he also glorified. Jacob is overcome with fear of man. He's overcome with the fear of his brother Esau. He is tried in his flesh to appease him. But he just keeps coming and coming with those 400 men. Death awaits Jacob. But first, he's going to suffer that agonizing fate of watching his wives and his children slaughtered before his eyes. And then he'll die. He's having to face that day that he's been dreading for 20 years. And it's in that night the night when he is left all alone, perhaps for the first time for many years, that he finally met his true adversary. Again, then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of dawn. Verse 25, And he saw that he had not prevailed against him, so he, God, touched the socket of his, Jacob's thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. And he, God, said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he, Jacob, said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Those are verses 24 through 26. And in them, we can become mixed up in our thinking, mixed up in our theology. What was going on here? How can a mere mortal wrestle with God and prevail over him? Because in our minds, it seems like Jacob, he's got God on the mat. He's worn him down to the point that God is tapping out. This is what those that don't know God, how they very often relate these verses. I mean, after all, isn't this the clear and logical understanding of the words as they're given to us in these verses? Sure they are. As long as that man that wrestles with Jacob on that night is just a mere mortal, just a man. A man that could somehow not overcome Jacob in a wrestling mat, a match, but who could, with a single touch, permanently render, render him crippled with just a mere touch. And are we really supposed to believe that that man, 
that God-man was concerned about being seen because dawn was breaking? I mean, is this man a vampire? I mean, is he going to melt away? Is he going to lose his power in the sunshine? Or perhaps, perhaps this man knew that with that new day, that Jacob would be faced with the reality of the man that he had feared so long. And God crippling this dear saint, a saint that is the joy that was set before him in the propitiation of his sin, this is not uncommon. It's not out of the ordinary, and it is not mean-spirited. Listen to another one of his saints who, crip, who was crippled on purpose, in mercy. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Paul says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And there is reality. Jacob, Paul, you, me, you will, I do. We will all try to steal glory from God. And it's the grace of God that will not allow this to happen. Paul went on and says, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecution and hardships, for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Saints, as you sit there today, would, would you? Could you actually say the same thing? No? Dear ones, trust me when I tell you that even if you cannot truthfully say that this is the case now, you will. On the day that the Lord in his grace and his mercy breaks your body in order that your soul can be set free not set free from sin, but set free in knowing him. And rest assured now that on that day that you will realize, like Paul, most gladly in your weakness you will boast in order that the power of Christ may dwell in you. And this is what Jacob is about to realize. Back to our account from today, verse 27. So he, God, said to him, Jacob, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. This man wrestled with God all night long. He has been crippled, and yet he's still clinging. He's still clinging to the only hope that he has. And it's in this moment that God asked Jacob, what's your name? Who are you? See, Jacob had lived a false front life. He had spent his whole life conniving, striving in his flesh, cheating, lying, trying to fool people. And now, now he's been brought to the end of himself. And in the end of that night of wrestling with the Lord, he was asked, what is your name? God said, Jacob, 
Who are you? God knew who he was. He knew all about him. The question was, did Jacob know who he was? And because of the wrestling, because of that imminent attack, because of the travel, because of the, tr- the struggles over the past 20 years, Jacob finally realized in the depth of who he was, who I am. I am Jacob. I am the heel snatcher. And it's in that moment that God can once again and finally reveal the truth of who Jacob is, not in himself, but in God. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob. Your name shall be Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him and said, Please tell me your name. And he, God, said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named that place Peniel. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been delivered. And then the sun rose just as he crossed over Peniel. And he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel will not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because they touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of his hip. And once again, we need to get our minds and our hearts reset back to the reality of the Bible. Because it's easy to walk away from this account thinking wrongly about God and about man, thinking that Jacob really did overcome God, thinking that man is able to wear God down, that all we need to do is stubbornly just hang on, and we're going to get our way. But the reality is, That even before Jacob was born, he had already won. God had already chosen him to be his redeemed. He had already bestowed grace upon him, already proven him to be the victor over and in his creation. He told Rebekah back in Genesis 25, 23, this reality, he said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger, the other, the older shall serve the younger. And it's the same thing that we're told in Romans 10, verses 10 through 16. Not only this, but there was Rebekah, when she was conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born, and hadn't done anything good or bad, so that the purpose of God, according to his choice, would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger, just as it was written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there any unrighteousness with God? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the one who wills or the one who runs, but on God who has mercy. Saints, you need to understand, Jacob could only wrestle with God because he was wrestling in God. He's already been redeemed. He's already won the best prize ever. And he was wrestling from a place of victory in Jesus to the place of realization of the Jesus that he was wrestling with at that moment. In essence, the man who would be called Israel was wrestling 
in and with the true Israel of God as told to us in Galatians 6.16. Wrap your mind around that. Saints, there may be times in your walk with the Lord that the Lord will take you to the mat. Times when you are body slammed, hard, multiple times. Times where you've been taken to the end of yourself, when you know that there is no way out, there is no way back. And it's times like that that you need to understand you are not facing an adversary that is seeking to destroy you. You are, seek, you are facing an adversary who is seeking to destroy the flesh that is preventing you from seeing who you are in him. And God knowingly, willingly, purposefully brought Jacob to the end of himself before that night-long wrestling match. And he did so in his mercy and in his grace. That man had already been chosen to be his son, had already been blessed to be in the heavenlies with him. And now he's allowing the things of this world to work alongside his divine intervention to allow Jacob to know who he is in Christ. He's no longer Jacob. He's been given a new name, a heavenly name, a revelatory name. And saints, this is the same message that Christ has for you and for me. This is the same message that he gave to the church in Smyrna when he told them, hold fast to my name in verse 17 of Revelation 2. He tells us, he who has an ear to ear, has God given you an ear to hear his word? Let him hear then what the Spirit says to the church. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone which no one knows but he who receives it. Saints, when the Lord takes you to the end of yourself, when he takes you to that impossible place, to the place where you see all the veneer of your Christianity melting away, being stripped off. Don't fear. Because he's revealing to you the reality of who you are. That you're a sinner. A desperately horrible sinner. A sinner in need of a savior. And then, and then, and then, he will reveal to you the reality of who you are in your savior. In him, when he reveals the love and the faith, the grace that he has given to you as you cling, the only way that you can cling to him is because he has redeemed you. There is no way, no how, at no time, that any created being could ever wrestle with God let that be an unashamed truth in your mind. Not even for a second. If you are wrestling with God, all of our wrestling with God, all of it happens in God. 
Him giving the opportunity to us to slough off more and more of this old man of our flesh and revealing more and more of Him in us, to us. And this is why Jacob, Israel, could call that place Peniel. He could no longer fear the dawning of that day when his older brother Esau, the man for who for so long he feared so terribly, that day when he was going to finally meet him face to face, he no longer feared that man because he met God face to face the night before. And for that reason, he no longer feared men. Saints, pray. I would, I would beg you, pray that God would bless you with the same blessing. That you would long for that wrestling match with your Savior. The time and the place that he will bring you to the end of yourself and reveal who you really are in him. And I can pray this because if this has already happened to you, you will remember that wrestling match. No matter what scars you carry because of it, you will remember it so fondly, so deeply. But saints, be amazed. Wonder at the God that would allow you to wrestle with him. The God that allows you to wrestle in him. You're never going to win that match. Because you've already won the greatest gift of all time the one who you're wrestling with. Let's pray.